If I asked you who your nearest and dearest were, I wonder who would come first into your mind. Our circumstances are all different. Each person here has a unique network of family and friends. Now, that phrase has traditionally been taken to refer to a spouse or a close family member. And indeed, that may well be the person who first pops into your head. But not all families are happy ones. And as we get older, it may be that the person whom we instinctively think of as our nearest and dearest may no longer be alive. It's a seemingly simple question, but actually it raises up questions for all of us about who we currently share our lives with. Who are we close to? Where do we feel that we belong? Now, if someone had asked that question to a member of the crowd surrounding Jesus in our passage today, the answer would have been easy. For a woman, it would probably have been her husband if she were married, her father or brother if she were not. Because in first century Palestine, families meant everything. Your very identity was defined by the family into which you had been born. The bonds of family, with its responsibilities and obligations, with its family loyalties, that was paramount. And this is why it must have been so shocking to hear Jesus redefining family in our passage today. Because Jesus redefined the term family, giving everyone access into a family in which they could belong. A family defined not by accident of birth, but a family community defined by shared values and practice. In these two short sections of scripture, we shall see in the second section something of the family values that hold us together as a Christian community, and a glimpse in verses 1 to 3 of Luke 8 of how those might work out in practice. I'd like to explore both of those today, starting with the second section of Luke 8, where Jesus redefines family in terms of a Christian community. So how did Jesus define his family? I'd like to make it clear from the start that I don't think that this passage is about Jesus snubbing his mother and brothers and leaving them outside. I think it's about him using the opportunity of the arrival of his family, of his birth family, to make what would have seemed a shocking statement, that a vivid teaching point. The statement that the Christian community is as strong as blood relationships and so much wider. It could well include family members, but Jesus' family was primarily defined by a shared set of values and purposes. Jesus refers to his family as those who hear God's word and put it into practice. To understand why he might have chosen those words, we need to go back to the section in Luke 8, which we've left out today. That's the 
parable of the sower that Jesus had just told them. Hopefully a fairly familiar parable to all of us. So in that parable, Jesus describes himself as a farmer sowing God's word and describes the various responses to the seed that he was planting. Some people ignored Jesus, the seed that fell on the path. Some failed to persevere, the seed on the rocky and the weedy ground. But there were others, the seed in good soil, who responded and led fruitful lives. Jesus described them in verse 15 as those who hear the word and retain it, and by persevering, produce a good crop. In other words, Jesus' family comprised his followers or disciples. So what does that mean for us? If we are members of Jesus' wider family, then we're people who firstly take time to listen to him, to get to grips with his teaching. And there are plenty of ways in which we can do this. Quite simply, by being here week by week, listening to our Sunday readings and our preaching is a great place to start. Being a member of a small group, exploring Jesus' teachings together with others is another. Reading the Bible in more depth, maybe with the help of a Bible reading scheme or some daily notes. Exploring the Christian faith in a more systematic way, maybe with the help of an Alpha course or something similar. These are all ways in which we can take time to hear God's word. And there are many ways in which we can do that together. But it doesn't end there. Jesus said, my mother and brothers are those who hear God's word and put it into practice. To explore what that might mean, we're going to turn to the beginning of Luke 8 to get a bit of a snapshot of what Jesus' family community looked like as he travelled from town to town in Galilee. As Jesus travelled around Galilee, Luke tells us that the twelve accompanied him along with some women. One thing that's immediately striking about that small phrase describing Jesus' community of friends is how amazingly diverse a community it was. We know from a couple of weeks ago how diverse the 12 disciples were in social background and politics. Some fishermen, a tax collector, a Jewish zealot railing against Roman occupation, and a Roman collaborator. Not the most obvious of friends. And to this, we add some women. The fact that women were part of Jesus' travelling party at all is pretty surprising given the Jewish culture of the time. Whilst Greek and Roman women were fairly independent, especially if they were wealthy, in Jewish patriarchal society, a Jewish woman would have been expected to remain in the family home. Of the three women who were specifically named, Joanna would have been part of the high society of Herod's court. Mary Magdalene was probably a trader, Her name identifies her from coming from the trading town of Magdala. And incidentally, the medieval stories of her being a prostitute have no biblical foundation. So a courtier, fisherman, traders, a dangerous political agitator, a hated collaborator, 
men, women. It was an incredibly diverse and open community. But they were all welcomed if they wanted to follow Jesus, irrespective of gender or background. A diverse and open community, but one committed to Jesus. I've had a particular experience of the diversity of the Christian family when I've worshipped in the little church of Katete in Uganda when I went there to visit with Faith Agua, member of this congregation. On that first visit, I was the odd one out. I was the only white face there. I was the only one with a university education. The congregation consisted of farmers, of herdsmen, of landless squatters, people with little education and some who could not even read or write. We often didn't even share a common language. But we were all united in our praise and worship of God. And I felt a powerful sense of being welcomed, of being part of the Christian family. If we dig a bit deeper, we can gain some insight into the motivation of some of those early community members in our passage. We read that some of the women have been cured of evil spirits and diseases. We don't know precisely what is meant by that or any detail, but we do know that these women had found healing with Jesus, a healing that they hadn't been able to obtain elsewhere. They'd received much from Jesus personally, and they wanted to, go to give back to him in whatever way they could. And so we read that they supported him out of their own means. Now, this almost certainly meant financially, but it may also have meant support in other ways, not described here. And this support was vital to Jesus' ministry. These women were the hidden enablers, mentioned only in Luke's Gospel. They enabled Jesus to travel widely through Galilee and concentrate on his healing and preaching ministry. Those few verses give us a snapshot of a community that is united in a common purpose, following Jesus. It's a community comprising of many different backgrounds and skills, but one where those skills and talents were brought together for the common good. A community who cared for each other. A community where those who had received much from Jesus were generous in what they offered back, both to him and to others. Can we apply any of these principles to our own Christian community here at HTC? Or is the world now much more complicated? I think that the example of those women is one that we can learn from and apply in today's world. Let me give you another example from Uganda. Faith has cared for many disadvantaged children in her time. In fact, she calls them her adopted family. Now, this has included one boy who everyone else had given up on, but who, under Faith's encouragement, has just left university with a diploma in public administration. An amazing feat for someone from that background. And it also has included a girl who has suffered some horrendous abuse and hardship, whom Faith has 
helped to learn a trade as a hairdresser and a seamstress. Now, those two young people are now traveling with her on her present visit to Uganda. They are helping to sort out the younger sponsored children with new schools. They're cooking for her to leave her with more time to meet with the people that she needs to see. Those two, amongst many others, have been blessed by faith. And now they are being a blessing to others in faith's adopted family. The women in this passage provided for Jesus materially. Some of us may be in a position to do that, but not all of us will. However, there are small practical ways in which we can all do we can all do to help others in our community here at HTC. For example, just picking up the phone or visiting someone whom you know to be either isolated or perhaps a bit under the weather. Inviting others round for a meal. Come home to, come home to lunch Sunday is a particular organised example of that, but you don't have to wait for the next one before you invite someone round. Simply asking people how they are with intent rather than as a social nicety and actively listening if they start to tell you how they really are. I think sometimes we're reluctant to do these things because we fear a rebuff but I think we should expect to be received positively Because when we find ourselves on the receiving end of somebody else's care and concern, being part of a loving community means that at some times we actually need to sort of swallow our pride and sense of self-sufficiency and to graciously accept the help that others are very willing to give. Does our being members of a Christian community mean that our biological families are less important? No. Jesus wasn't setting the one against the other in this passage. On another occasion, he criticized the Pharisees for neglecting to provide for their parents on the excuse that their earnings were Corban, in other words, formally dedicated to God and his temple. Family and Christian community should be complementary Both have responsibilities, and many of the examples that I've given in the context of a Christian community should equally apply to families. Now, I started off this morning by asking you the question, who was your nearest and dearest, to set us thinking about where our close relationships lie. Many of us will be blessed with close and loving biological families, who are a a source of strength and encouragement to us. But not all of us here will be. Tolstoy, in his novel Anna Karenina, said, all happy families are alike. Each unhappy family is unhappy in its own way. If you're in a situation today where your family is a source of unhappiness to you, whatever your unique set of circumstances might be, I'd like you to take heart from this passage. Because if you feel at odds or even rejected by your own family, then here is the promise of a bigger family, 
Christ's family, to which we can all belong. The only criterion for membership is that desire to learn from Jesus and to follow him. And Jesus is inviting you to be part of his family. Whatever our personal family background, many of us will be here today confident in the knowledge that we are a part of Jesus' bigger family. For us, this passage is a cause for rejoicing that we have a place where we can belong. But remember, we also all have a part to play in that bigger family community in order to make it work well. The challenge to those of us who are in the family, as it were, is how can we make HTC a place where everyone feels that they can belong? It couldn't have been an easy task for that early community who travelled with Jesus around Galilee. A Jewish zealot, a Roman collaborator, you couldn't get much further apart politically than that. Women travelling with and supporting Jesus in that way was something that might have been seen as culturally and possibly religiously abhorrent by some of the Jewish men. And don't let us fool ourselves, neither is it an easy task for us today. We all naturally feel a greater kinship to some people than others. We won't always agree with one another. And let's face it, our fellow Christians can sometimes behave at times um, in ways that challenge or hurt us. But we belong together because of the God whom we all love and serve. After the vote in Synod this week, where Synod effectively rejected the bishop's report on marriage and same-sex relationships, Archbishop Justin said, how we deal with the real and profound disagreement put so passionately and clearly by many at the Church of England's General Synod debate is a challenge we face as people who all belong to Christ. The way forward needs to be about love, joy, and celebration of our belonging to Christ, all of us, without exception, without exclusion. Jesus offers us a place to belong. His invitation is for us all. And if we have received much from him, then let us strive to be generous in what we offer back. In building a community that belongs to Christ and supports one another, all of us, without exception and without exclusion. Amen.